chapter 1. John chapter 1. That's what happens when I mess up the order of service. John chapter 1, and uh, we'll remain standing for the reading of God's Word. It's great to have Brother Gary back, a little visitor back there, and uh, it's great to have him back. And I, I know that he and his wife both have been chomping at the bit to get back, and I'm uh, glad to have them here today. John chapter 1, we're going to pick it up in verse 1 and read down through verse number 5. John 1, 1 through 5. Verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And let's pray together one more time. Father, we thank you for your precious word that uh, we get to have here in our hands and to be able to read. Lord, I pray that you'd use your word today to teach us about who you are. And uh, Lord, I pray you'd guide our thoughts this morning. Again, I pray that you would um, help us to focus in on what we're supposed to think about right now. Lord, I know there's a lot of things going on in our own lives and in this world, and, and yet, Lord, I pray that you would help us to zero in on who you are today, to think about you, to turn our eyes upon Jesus. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. So this morning, as I mentioned, we're going to be learning about Jesus Christ. Now, I realize there may be some today who are thinking, Pastor, do you know what's going on in our country right now? I mean, with all that's going on with the impending inauguration in three days, with the silencing of free speech, with all the COVID stuff still happening, you're really going to preach about Jesus today? I mean, is that really relevant right now? Well, friend, can I remind you that our theme for 2021 is looking unto Jesus. And if we're going to keep our eyes on the Lord during this difficult time, we better have a good understanding of who He really is. So yes, with all that is going on, we're going to take some time today to learn more about Jesus. And, and by the way, aren't you kind of glad to get a brain uh, uh, relief from all that's going on when we come here into church? We don't have to uh, carry all that stuff in. Uh, we can have a little bit of a break uh, from all that's happening around us. And by the way, isn't this what we're supposed to be doing anyway, according to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18, where we're instructed to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, we're supposed to be increasing in knowledge of who God is and who Jesus Christ is. Now, throughout the Bible, we see Jesus Christ... I'm sure he is mentioned uh, most in the New Testament, but the Old Testament also mentions him quite a bit, and he is actually typified in every single book of the Bible. For instance, in the book of Genesis, Jesus is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet like unto Moses. 
In Joshua, he is the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he is our judge and great lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. First and Second Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In First and Second Kings, he is the Lord our King. In First and Second Chronicles, Jesus is our reigning King. In Ezra, he is our faithful spouse. In Nehemiah, he is the builder of broken down walls. In Esther, he is our Mordecai. In Job, he is our Redeemer. In Psalms, he is the Lord, our Shepherd. In Proverbs, he is our Wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he is our Lover. In Song of Solomon, he is our Beloved, Fair One. In Isaiah, he is the Prince of Peace. In Jeremiah, Jesus is the Balm of Gilead. In the Lamentations, Jesus is the Weeping Prophet. In Ezekiel, he is the Wonderful Four-Faced Man. In Daniel, he is that fourth man in the Fiery Furnace. In Hosea, he is the faithful husband. In the book of Joel, he is the Holy Ghost baptizer. In Amos, he is the burden bearer. In Obadiah, Jesus is mighty to save. In the book of Jonah, he is our foreign missionary. In the book of Micah, he is the messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is the avenger of God's elect. In the book of Habakkuk, Jesus is God's evangelist. In Zephaniah, he is our savior. In Haggai, he is the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is the fountain open in the house of David. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. In the book of Matthew, he is the Messiah. In Mark, he is the miracle worker. In Luke, he is the son of man. In John, he is the son of God. In the book of Acts, Jesus is the foundation of the church. In the book of Romans, Jesus is our justifier. In the book of First and Second Corinthians, Jesus is our sanctifier. In Galatians, he is the redeemer from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he is the Christ with unsearchable riches. In Philippians, Jesus is the God that supplies all of our needs. In Colossians, Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In First and Second Thessalonians, Jesus is our soon coming king. In First and Second Timothy, Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. In the book of Titus, Jesus is the faithful pastor. And in the book of Philemon, Jesus is the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. In the book of Hebrews, he is the blood of the everlasting covenant. In the book of James, he is our great physician. In First and Second Peter, he is the chief shepherd. In First, Second, and Third John, Jesus is love. In Jude, he is the one, the Lord coming with ten thousands of his saints. And in the book of Revelation, he is the King of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Uh, Billy Sunday in a sermon said this, There are 256 names given in the Bible for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I tried to look it up, and I don't know that I have come up with 256, but Billy Sunday is a smarter preacher than me, so I'm going to trust him a little bit more than me. Uh, But... He said this, uh, there are 256 names given in the Bible for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I suppose this was because he was infinitely beyond all that any one name could express. I think that that's an accurate statement for sure. Uh, Jesus Christ was the single most important person to ever walk on this earth. Uh, One of our great presidents, Ronald Reagan, said this. He said, meaning no disrespect to the religious convictions of others. 
I still can't help wondering how we can explain away what to me is the greatest miracle of all and which is recorded in history. No one denies there was such a man that he lived and that he was put to death by crucifixion. Where is this miracle I spoke of? Well, consider this and let your imagination translate the story into our own time, possibly to your own hometown. A young man whose father is a carpenter grows up working in his father's shop. One day he puts down his tools, walks out of his father's shop. He starts preaching on street corners and in the early or the nearby countryside, walking from place to place, preaching all the while, even though he is not an ordained minister. He does this for three years. Then he is arrested, tried, and convicted. There is no court of appeals, so he is executed at age 33, along with two common thieves. Those in charge of his execution roll dice to see who gets his clothing, the only possessions he has. His family cannot afford a burial place for him, so he is interred in a borrowed tomb. End of story? No, this uneducated, propertyless young man who left no written word has for 2,000 years had a greater effect on the world than all the rulers, kings, emperors, all the conquerors, generals, and admirals, all the scholars, scientists, and philosophers who have ever lived, all of them put together. How do we explain that? Well, we explain that because he really was who he said he was. Those are the words of Ronald Reagan. So this morning, we were going to look at the Word of God, the Bible, and learn about the nature of Jesus Christ. As we are uh, this year trying to keep our eyes on the Lord and look unto Jesus, we better understand a little bit about who Jesus is. And this morning, first of all, we're going to look at His nature. And so what, according to the Bible, does it say about Jesus' nature? Well, first of all, it says that Jesus has a divine nature. Jesus has a divine nature. If you look in verse number 1 of John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, Jesus, and we're going to look at it in a few minutes, the fact that Jesus was human, he was a man, but, but he was God. Um, and we see this in several different aspects of, of who he is. We see his divinity and his deity in the fact that he is eternal. That he's never had a uh, beginning and he's never had and will never have an end. Uh, look here in uh, verse number one where it says, In the beginning was the word. That doesn't mean that the word had a beginning. That just means in the beginning of all that you and I know, the beginning of creation, the Word was there. And uh, we learn who the Word was in verse number 14 of John chapter 1, where it says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So when it says the Word here, it's a reference to uh, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word. So Jesus was there in the very beginning. He did not have his beginning in Bethlehem, that was not his beginning. You see, he existed in eternity past, and he will exist in eternity future. Uh, verse number two says, the same was in the beginning with God. So again, another reference to the fact that at the beginning of all of creation, Jesus was there. Micah chapter number five and verse number two. Uh, we looked at this verse a couple times uh, as we celebrate Christmas just a few weeks ago. 
Micah 5.2 is the Old Testament prophecy on where Jesus would be born. This was the uh, verse, this was the prophecy that the wise men referred to when they uh, approached King Herod. Um, here's what they said, or here's what Micah 5.2 says, But thou, Bethlehem, if, uh, Epaphrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah... Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. And here's what it says about him. Whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. The fact is, he's been going forth from old, from everlasting. He's been in existence forever. And he will be in existence forever. Well, what about the words of Jesus? Did he say that he was eternal? Did he say that uh, he has always existed? Yes, he did. John chapter 8. Your Bible's open to John chapter 1. If you just flip over to John chapter 8 for just a moment. John chapter 8, verse number 58. And we won't go through this whole passage, of course, we could. Uh, but uh, verse number 57, let's pick it up there just to give us, uh, well, verse 56. Jesus said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. So he said, Before Abraham existed, I was there. I existed prior to Abraham. Well, well what did people think of that particular statement? Did they enjoy that? Did they like that? Uh, verse 59, then they took up stones to cast at him. So talk about inciting violence. Uh, Jesus was the master at that. Uh, not on purpose, but he was explaining the fact that he was eternal and that he is eternal, that he's always existed and always will exist. And uh, it did not make those people listening very happy to hear that Jesus was claiming to be uh, God in his eternality. Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 13 said this, I am, and these are the, if you have a red letter Bible and you were to turn to Revelation 22, verse 13, you would see these words in red. These are the words of Jesus. And Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, which by the way are the beginning and ending letters of the Greek alphabet. Um, he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. In other words, he always existed and he always will exist. He is the eternal Son of God. So Jesus has a divine nature and we see that in the fact that he's eternal. We also see it in the fact that he is the creator. See, most people think that God the Father did all the creation. Technically, God the Father, God... Son and God the Holy Spirit were all involved in creation. The Trinity was all involved. If you go back to John chapter 1 and uh, verse number 3, the Bible says this regarding the Word, uh, which we uh, defined as Jesus, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. I like, I like John and, and, and the way he writes. It's very simple. It's very clear and easy to understand. He said, all things were made by him. And without him, he clarifies it, without him was not anything made that was made. So yes, Jesus uh, was very much involved with creation and he is the creator. 
Um, I'm going to ask you to turn to Colossians chapter number 1. Because three places in the New Testament at least uh, tell us that Jesus is the creator. Colossians chapter number 1 is another instance. John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. Pick it up in verse number 12. Colossians 1.12 says, Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Okay, so now we're talking about Jesus going forward here. In whom? In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And I love verse 14. But verse 15 says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? And then here's verse 16 that says this about him being the creator. For by him, Jesus were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. The fact that uh, my body is holding together today is because of Jesus. And he created all that you and I know. He is the creator. So John chapter 1 tells us that. Colossians chapter 1 tells that. And also Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that. You don't need to turn there, but if you want to, you can. Hebrews 1 verse 1 says this. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So Jesus uh, is the creator, and that's why he has a divine... We, we, see, we see his divinity, his deity, and, and the fact that he created all that you and I see and know. He's the creator. We see it also, his divinity and his divine nature, and the fact that he did many miracles... Jesus did great and mighty things while here on earth. And as you read through the Gospels, you see uh, many of them. Uh, he turned the water into wine. He healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers. He caused the blind to see, the deaf to hear. And he raised the dead. And at the, book, at the end of the book of John, here is the very last book of the Gospel of John. And it has to do with all the miracles that Jesus uh, did here on this earth. John said this in John 21, 25. He said, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be, that should be written. Amen. <laughs> John said, I've just given you just a like drop in the bucket on what Jesus did. And if the I mean, if we really shared everything that Jesus did, the world would, uh, would not be able to contain all the books of the things that Jesus did while he was here on this earth. Um, and that's how John ends the book of John. Uh, pretty interesting. And, and he did all these miracles and, and uh, over and over again, all to prove to those around him that he wasn't just a man, but that he was God in human flesh. Uh, what else points to his divine nature? Well, uh, lastly here is his attributes. 
the things that we, we see played out and displayed in the life of Christ as he is here on this earth. We see um, divine attributes played out and displayed. We see the fact that he was omniscient, the fact that he knew everything. And that's a big, fancy, theological 50-cent word that means he knows it all. And uh, here's what uh, one, of the, one of the references of, uh, of his omniscience and, and display of that was found when he was talking to the woman at the well. Now, when he met the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he, he never met her per se. But uh, when he gets to talking to her, he says this in verse 18 of John chapter 4. Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And he whom now, or thou now hast, is not thy husband. In, in that saidest thou truly. He said, look, I know that you've had multiple relationships. And the woman saith unto him, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Well, he's not just a prophet. He's also the omniscient uh, Lord of glory. And uh, so this, this was a display of the fact that Jesus knew it all. And uh, that was... Uh, pointing to the fact that he has a divine nature. He also is omnipotent. In other words, he has uh, all power. And he also has, he's also omnipresent, which means he's everywhere all at the same time. Uh, just to show you this in, in, a, in a quick little snippet here, Matthew chapter number 28, if you want to turn over there. And what we call here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, and what a lot of churches call the Great Commission, and we find both of these mentioned here. Both of these attributes referenced in this great commission. His uh, omnipotence and his omnipresence. His omnipotence, the fact that all power, he has all power, is found in verse number 18. Where Jesus came and spake unto them saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. He was basically saying, I'm God and I have all power. I'm omnipotent. I can do anything. And then he says, and he tells us what to do in verses 19 and 20. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And then here's his omnipresence. And lo, I am with you all the way, even unto the end of the world. Uh, he promises to be with us. And we find we, we find his omnipresence uh, displayed and mentioned elsewhere. Uh, but for sake of time, I just wanted to give you kind of one uh, example of these. So he's omniscient. He knows all. He's omnipotent. He has all power. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all at the same time. And he's also immutable, which means he never changes. In Malachi, it says, I am the Lord, I change not. But in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 8, that same attribute of unchanging is given to Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. See, Jesus uh, has never changed. His, his deity has never changed. And so we, we see here, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> we see here that he has a divine nature. We see it in his, the fact that he's eternal, he's the creator, all the miracles that he did and the attributes that he possessed. So we see that Jesus has a divine nature. But then secondly, we also see that Jesus has a human nature. 
You know, it, as they say, Jesus wasn't just 50% God and 50% man. No, he was 100% God, 100% man at the same time. And, uh, but he does have a human nature as well. Uh, John chapter 1, verse number 14 says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Philippians talks about uh, the fact that Jesus uh, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And we see his human nature displayed in the fact that in in his birth, uh, Jesus came forth as a baby boy. Um. His birth pointed to the fact that he is human and, and he looked human and he, because he was human. He has a human nature. We see it in his birth. We also see it in his body. As you read through the Gospels and you go through the life of Christ, you see him express human, um, human desires for uh, his flesh. For instance, he was hungry. After being in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and fasting there, afterwards, the Bible says he was hungry. Now, after 40 minutes, my kids are hungry. Uh, Can you imagine 40 days uh, without food? And Jesus uh, was hungry. And uh, he was also thirsty. Remember on the cross, one of the things he cried out is, I thirst. Uh, He also was tired. Uh, His body uh, grew weary and tired. If you turn over to Mark chapter 5 real quick, just to show you this. Mark chapter number 5. Mark chapter 4, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 4. Verse 35, he said, The same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over into the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? So Jesus here was weary as he gets into the ship and he gets into the lower part where there's a pillow and says, I'm going to go take me a good nap. Some of you are doing that right now. (laughs) You're like, hey, I want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to follow in his steps and take a nap, you know. There is a shirt that says, Jesus took naps, be like Jesus or something. I want to be like Jesus. I thought that's great. That's my shirt. My kids should get that for me for... Father's Day, birthday, or just because, because I am a fan of naps, um, and where I'm in good company. Um, but he, he, because he, was, he had a human nature, right? He, his body got tired and was weary. Um, he also had a body of flesh and blood. And on that cross of Calvary, his body was broken and his blood was shed for us. And by the way, his body also died and was buried in a borrowed tomb. And so we see his human nature expressed in his body. We also see it expressed, thirdly, in his emotions. Jesus had emotions like you and I have. He was angry. As he 
walked into the temple and saw them making a, a place of merchandise and, and uh, money changing. And, and uh, he got angry, overthrew those tables and said, My house shall not be called a, a den of thieves, but it shall be called a house of prayer. He was angry. He also expressed sadness. If you turn over to John chapter number 11, real quickly. John chapter number 11 and verse number 33. His friend Lazarus had died. Is the context of John chapter 11 and verse number 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, Mary, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, the Bible says he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. See, there's a human emotion that Jesus was having that you and I have too. When we're in a sad situation where everybody is uh, grieving and sad, we, we, we tend, it causes us to get sad too. Verse 34, Jesus said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And then verse 35 uh, most of us joke about how it's the easiest verse in the Bible to memorize, but but it says so much. It's so small, but so potent to, to uh, see the emotion that Jesus could have when it just simply says, Jesus wept. You see, he had emotion just like you and I do. He loved. And uh, verse number, I turned away from it too fast. Verse number 36, then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. As they saw Jesus, the Son of God, God in human flesh, allow tears to come down his cheeks. They said, boy, he really loved Lazarus. Because he did. He had a friend, and he was sad that he was dead. But of course, a little later in that chapter, we know what happens. Lazarus comes forth, and uh, Jesus raises him from the dead. But Jesus has a human nature. We see that in his birth, in his body, and in his emotions. And uh, he was, again, not just uh, sometimes human. He had a human nature, and, and uh, it was a, a complete, unified, or the theological word is hypostatic union, uh, that they were connected and, and they were not divorced from each other. Okay, So Jesus was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. So Jesus had a divine nature. He had a human nature. Thirdly, I want us to look at the fact that Jesus also had a sinless nature. Sinless nature. John chapter 1 and verse number 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus had a sinless nature. 1 John chapter 1. So same John, just different book of the Bible. 1 John 1.5 says this, Then this is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Zero darkness. 1 John 3 and verse number 5, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Well, you think, well, of course there was no sin. He was never tempted. Actually, he was. Uh, in the garden, or in the wilderness, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter number 4, as the Spirit leads him into the wilderness uh, to be tempted there, and as he is tempted, uh, the devil brings three pretty powerful temptations to Jesus. 
And in each one of those temptations, Jesus responds with Scripture, which again clues us in on how we can defeat temptation in our own life is through the Scriptures, is through having God's Word in our heart that we can throw it back at the devil. And in all three of those temptations, Jesus did not succumb, did not uh, fall into either any one of those temptations. And so we see, first of all, here under Jesus has a sinless nature. He did not sin. He did not sin. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but Jesus was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. See, he knows what it's like to be tempted to sin. And yet, unlike us, he never did sin. He never did fall into those temptations. See, Jesus did not sin. 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. For even hereunto were he called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. For he, God the Father, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So yes, Jesus was tempted, but he did not sin. And he was successful over all of those temptations. Praise the Lord for that. And that made it so that when he died on the cross, that blood that he shed for us was the acceptable sacrifice, was the acceptable payment, was the acceptable atonement for our sin. So he did not sin. But then secondly, I want us to notice this. He could not sin. Most people would agree with everything that I've said so far. But when we come to this one, there uh, might be some differing of opinions on this one. Because if he could not sin, then were those really genuine temptations? I would say they were very legitimate temptations. But it was not there to prove or to see if he would sin, they were there to prove that he could not sin. And we see this uh, logically as as we uh, uh, learn what we've learned already about his divine nature. If he really was divine and 100% God, then how could God sin? And remember, Jesus never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And... uh, If he could sin in the wilderness, then that means he could sin today. And he can't sin today, my friend. Uh, He is holy, the Holy One. Uh, We see it in his omnipotence, the fact that he has all power. If he has all power, then no sin is going to be more powerful than he is. No temptation is going to be more powerful than him. Oh, I'm sure that those temptations were strong, but I'm telling you, it was there He was not tempted to see if he would sin, whether or not he would. It was to show that he would not, or could not. Um, Also, the nature of temptation. If, If Jesus really could sin at that point, it's interesting what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 1, where it goes into the story of him being tempted. Matthew 4, 1 says, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. 
Now, James tells us that God never tempts people to sin. And so here, the Spirit of God was leading Jesus, the Son of God, into the wilderness. And if Jesus really could sin, then that would mean that God was going against what, what what the book of James tells us about the fact that God never tempts anyone with sin. So uh, it's incongruent with so many different uh, elements of the whole uh, situation here. He could not sin. To help us understand uh, this, um, here's a a story about the uh, Union Pacific Railroad that was uh, being constructed. And there was an elaborate trestle bridge that was built across a large canyon in the west. So wanting to test the bridge, the builder loaded a train with enough extra cars and equipment to double its normal payload. The train was then driven to the middle of the bridge where it stayed an entire day. One worker asked, are you trying to break this bridge? No, the builder replied, I'm trying to prove that the bridge won't break. In the same way, the temptations that Jesus faced weren't designed to see if he would sin, but to prove that he couldn't sin. And so I really, based on the word of God, believe that Jesus could not sin, and he did not sin. So we see his divine nature, we see his human nature and his sinless nature. So what should we do with all of this information in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives? What should we do with this information? I mean, this is great theology, Christology, Uh, to understand, but what should we do with this information? What kind of decisions should we make because we know that he has a divine nature, we know he has a human nature and a sinless nature? What should we do? First of all, get saved. Get saved. If you're here and you have not trusted Christ as your personal Savior, what are you waiting for? He's proved he is who he said he was. He's proved it by the resurrection. You go to the tomb of Jesus Christ, you're not going to find any bones there because he's sitting right now at the right hand of the throne of God. So as a result, don't wait any longer. Get saved. Uh, We mentioned the woman at the well and how uh, the Lord knew about her life prior to uh, even meeting her. Well, what did she do with the information that uh, ended up coming out about Jesus? She ended up placing her faith in Jesus dropping her water pot, forgetting the whole reason she was there at the well in the first place, and uh, went her way and just couldn't wait to tell everybody about the fact that she has met the Christ, the Messiah is here. What are you waiting for? Get saved today. Stop putting it off. Don't procrastinate any longer because guess what? No one knows. You know, we all have a birth date, but guess what? We also have another date in our life. It's the date that we're going to die. Now, I don't like to think about that date all that often. But someone once correctly said this, you're not really ready to live until you're ready to die. And so, my friend, are you ready to die? I'm not saying, do you have, you know, a will written out? You know, have you said all the things you need to say to all your family members? Those are good things to take care of and to deal with. But the very most important is making sure you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because if you don't and you die, one minute after you die, you're going to be not in the presence of God. Not in a beautiful place called heaven, but you're going to be in a place called hell. 
The Bible does not paint hell in a wonderful light. Hell's a terrible place, and I don't want anyone in this room to go there. So what should we do with this information? The fact that Jesus is God, he's human, and he's sinless. Get saved. Get saved. Trust him. Believe on him. What else should we do with this information? Well, because he is God and because he is Lord, we need to submit to him. Submit to his lordship in your life. Stop fighting the Lord. You may, you may win. You may force your will and God may say, okay, fine, you can have your will. But when you do that, you ultimately lose. But when you say, Lord, here's the white flag, I'm going to surrender it, surrender my life, I'm going to surrender my will to you, you win. Guess what? Actually, you both win. Now, the Lord wins because you're letting him, but ultimately because you're allowing his will to be done in your life, you're going to win too. So stop fighting and stop trying to fight the Lord. He is the Lord. Submit to him. And then I would say this, thirdly, serve him. Because he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, it is a privilege to serve him. It's a privilege to represent him to those around me and to our community. Serve him. Find ways to uh, bring him glory in our lives because really that's why we're here. We're not here to make a name for ourselves. We're here to make a name for him or to make his name known to those around us. Serve him. Find ways that you can do that. Be creative. James Smith in Daily Remembrances, in a book called Daily Remembrances, said this. Jesus, who died for thy sins, is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. We can never ascribe too much to Jesus. But he is worthy also to be believed in preference to Satan, unbelief, the world or appearances. Uh, he is to be trusted with all, for all, before all, to be loved more than any other, in opposition to any that would rival him, to be followed wherever he may lead us, through evil report or good report, to be preferred to ease, pleasure, wealth, health, to anything and everything. Jesus is worthy to be our example, our confidant, our king, and our all. He is worthy of all he requires, all we can give, all his people have done for him or suffered in his cause. Isaac Watson, as he wrote that, uh, my favorite hymn of all time, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, the last uh, stanza of that song says, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Because love, so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, it demands my life, and it demands my all. So what should we do with this information? Get saved. Submit to him and serve him. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity this 